You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. The believers at Antioch, an ancient city, a great number of Christians were in that city. It's, uh, according to Acts 11, it's where a large number of Christians, not only of Jews, but Greeks, became Christians there. And that city of Antioch is the, is the city that sent those Christians sent Paul and his friends on journeys throughout the Roman world, and the rest is history. On the very first trip they took, Barnabas and Paul uh, had an, a strange experience in one of the cities. They went to Lystra, which is in the Roman province of Galatia, uh, modern-day Turkey, and this is a, a fairly major city, and they went there and uh, were teaching, And then a lame man was there, and Paul healed him. And after healing this lame man, uh, a strange thing happened. The priest of the temple of Zeus came toward them with a crowd of people, and they were shouting in the Laconian language, so Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what they were saying. And they came running toward Paul, and the, the priest of the temple of Zeus had told the people that now we have Zeus is with us and Hermes. The gods are with us. And so Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because the, the, the Roman god Hermes is the one who interprets everything because Paul did the speaking. And so the people came and they had garlands and they had flowers. They were going to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. At first, maybe they were very impressed with this great crowd until they heard what they were saying and realized they were worshiping them. So Paul and Barnabas rushed into the crowd and said, don't do that. We are humans like you are. That was good news. But instead of the people rejoicing at that news, they decided to start stoning Paul. And that was one of Paul's stoning experiences. Uh, They threw rocks at him and they almost killed him, except a beautiful thing happened. A group of the disciples, because they had already been teaching in, in Lystra, a group of disciples surrounded Paul. And almost like the Secret Service surrounds the president. They surrounded Paul, and they took the rocks, and they saved Paul's life. And the interesting thing in the text is that then immediately Paul and Barnabas went right back into the city and started teaching. And a great number of people became believers at Lystra. So that was an interesting experience. Well, I bring that up because uh, just two chapters later in the book of in the book of Acts, Paul came on a second missionary journey. He went to Lystra, and there he chose a young man, and the young man chose Paul. And that young man's name was Timothy, and then traveled with Paul for the rest of Paul's journey. I've wondered if Timothy was one of those young disciples that surrounded Paul in chapter 11 when he was being stoned because it says the disciples there in Lystra protected Paul. I'm wondering if Timothy was one of those. At any rate, Paul comes to, he comes to Lystra. Timothy decides to join him, this young man whose father was Greek. His mother and his grandmother were Jewish. He was a believer. His father maybe had died because Paul keeps calling him my son. He wouldn't have done that if his father was still present. So he was raised by his mother and grandmother. Then he becomes a believer, and he maybe is one of those young men that protected Paul. But at any rate, Paul chooses him, and he travels with Paul for the rest of Paul's journeys. The last letter that St. Paul writes in the New Testament is 2 Timothy. It's a letter to that young man. I love that letter. Uh, I love 2 Timothy. 
And Paul wrote that letter uh, to Timothy to encourage him. It's an encouragement letter. And as a matter of fact, in my opinion, the first 12 verses of 2 Timothy, for me, are the high water mark of encouragement in the New Testament, of a, of a section of sentences that are encouraging and would help you uh, at the beginning of a new year, would help you in your life. They would help us like they've helped Timothy. And I want today to look at those 12 sentences, 12 verses that start 2 Timothy. If you have a pew Bible, you might want to follow along because I'll take you on a journey through those 12 verses that start the second letter of Timothy. Let's pray first. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Lord, be our teacher today. Help us to understand what you want us to know for our lives. We're beginning a brand new year. Help us to begin this year to run the race that's before us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as I see it, there are four parts to the encouragement. He starts the encouragement by, almost like the Psalms, he starts by remembering. Paul remembers. He remembers his own journey, but he remembers this young man. He remembers the fact that Timothy has a sincere faith, paying tribute perhaps to the faith of this young man that he had first met in Lystra. He pays tribute to that. He pays tribute to the root system that Timothy has. He tell, Paul mentions his mother and his grandmother and the role they played in his life because every one of us has a history. And, uh, and then he also lets him know that there's a cloud of witnesses that surround him that have put their hands on him. He uses that word, our hands have been on you. We have noticed you and we are for you. It's almost like Hebrews chapter 12. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and those witnesses are around you too. That's how he starts the encouragement. Listen to the text. If you have a text and follow along, you can see it for yourself in your Second uh, Timothy chapter one. He starts out, I'm grateful to God, verse three, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. See, now Paul is remembering. When I remember, he's going to use the word remember several times. He's going to urge Timothy to remember too. When I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Timothy is now in Ephesus when he gets this letter from Paul who's imprisoned in Rome. This is Paul's final imprisonment. In, uh, he had been in a lot of prisons in the Roman Empire. He's now in the main one in Rome. And that's where he sends this letter from. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded, now he uses the word remembering again. I'm reminded of your sincere faith he wants Timothy to know that. That's very important if you're going to encourage somebody that you pay tribute to who they are and what their legacy is and what their root system is. I'm reminded of your faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, probably good friends of Paul that he had met in Lystra before. Your, uh, by the way, this means that Timothy was raised by a, a single mom. If there's ever a text in the New Testament that shows that single parents can raise darn good kids, this is one of them. His mother, Eunice, grandmother Lois, she teamed up and they raised this boy. And so Paul pays tribute to them. That's his root system. 
his root system with his parents, his mother uh, Lois and your, your mother Eunice, your grandmother Lois. And I'm sure now lives in you. For this reason, I remind you. Once again, he reminds him. I remind you. Uh, and, and then he pays tribute to the fact that we've laid our hands on you. We have all laid our hands on you. We, uh, we're sold on you. That's how the encouragement of this, these first 12 verses begins. Paul encouraging Timothy by reminding Timothy uh, of his own history, of his own journey, the journey that he's already taken. I love that. Then Paul shares four great gifts. This is now the second part of his encouragement. There are four great gifts that God has given to Timothy. It's interesting. He's not asking Timothy to create these gifts or to create these virtues. Because we're going to get four virtues now, you might say. And he's not going to say that you have to create them or generate them yourself. They are given to you by God. Four gifts. The first is negative, And then the three positives follow it. Watch it. So he says, for this reason, I remind you to rekindle. In other words, to stir up, not to create. They're there, but they need to be stirred up, these gifts. I, want, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. See, he's not saying will be within you. If you fulfill these conditions, you'll get these gifts. They're there. I know this about you. Here are four gifts I know you have. Now I want you to stir them up. Keep, them, keep the flame going with these four gifts. And I love them. There's interesting word choices. These four gifts that God gave you. First, the negative. He did not give you a wind or spirit of... Now, the RSV before you, you have the new RSV in, the, in our Purex. I love the new RSV. It's very, uh, very accurate, except for this word choice here. Uh, <laughs> God did not give you a spirit of cowardice. That's a bad choice word. Uh, the old King James said a fear. But the word is a rare word. It's only used about four or five times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word delirious. We get the English word deliria from that word. It's used very strategically when the, remember in Matthew 8, when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus, Rembrandt drew a whole painting of that called Sea of Galilee. They were in the boat. Jesus is asleep and a storm is there. And that's when they said to him, carest thou not that we perish? He, they wake Jesus up. And the text says they were delirious. What is deliria? Not cowardice. It's disorienting fear. It's the disorienting fear. The fear of disorientation. Uh, we, we think, we think the ship, it was taking on water. We think the ship is sinking. They were delirious. It's a different kind of fear, not cowardice. It's not that they're cowards. They're, there's a deliria. And that's the word Paul uses here. And I think it's interesting he uses that word. God did not give you a spirit of disorienting fear. Now, there are a lot of things to be afraid of, but you shouldn't be disoriented by them. Uh, I lived in the Philippines for six years, and we saw, actually, we, we, we found a cobra, actually, in our uh, yard. It was a very tiny one, so that made me even more frightened, because I thought maybe there were parents around. But uh, if you see a cobra, you should not be disoriented in your fear, panic. You should be unflappable, if possible. You, but you should keep your wits about you. But you should be frightened of them. They're, they're frightening. But you shouldn't be disoriented by it. That's panic. And that's what Paul says, I know this about you. Is he referring to the stoning incident at Lystra? 
where you guys surrounded me, you weren't disoriented. You figured out how to save my life. So I know that that's in you. God did not give you a spirit or wind of disorienting fear. So if you're taking notes, I love people to take notes when they study the New Testament. Look at that word. It's the word deliria. Not that, but what did he give you? Strength, love, and a healthy mind. Strength, that's the word dunamis, strength. It's used uh, to refer to human strength and, and God's strength. God gave you strength. I know that about you. Paul knows this young man, and he's watched this young man, and he knows that, that God has given him strength. And so he says, I know that you have strength. And love. Love, that's the agape word. That is not something that you generate in yourself. It's given to you by God himself. It is his sacrifice in our behalf. It's an event that happened in our favor. God gave you love. And the next word is, uh, it's interesting, this word sophrono is used in Romans 12, that same word when Paul says, because of God's grace, you should have a sober mind. There it's translated sober mind. Here it's translated self-discipline. Actually, it means healthy mind, a healthy mind. A, uh, a sound mind. In fact, the King James Bible, I think, correctly translates this passage, did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind, a healthy mind. Now, there's four gifts that God has given, and he wants him to know that. He wants to know that those gifts are there. Now, stir them up. That's the second part of his advice. And then uh, the third part. The third part moves after that. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but join with me in, now again, I have to do a a word help with you. Join with me, the RSV says, in suffering for the gospel. Uh, That's not really, in my opinion, the best word choice here. It's the word hardship that's used here. Uh, The hardship of the gospel. It is tough. He's realistic. It's not a simple thing to be a disciple. Uh, Nero is the emperor. Uh, Paul is in a, in a fatal imprisonment. Uh, it's a very trying time, a, a, a harsh time to be a Christian in the Roman world. Timothy is in Ephesus right now trying to uh, hold the fort there, and Paul is asking him to come back to see him and come back to Rome, and that's where Paul, Timothy's going to come. And that's what this letter's about. But he, he urges Timothy now to get into the race, to jump in and not to, to pull back. And so he says, join with me in testimony of our Lord and, 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 and as his prisoner. Join with me in the hardship for the gospel. He admits that it's tough. It's almost like getting into a game. A player coach throws you into the game and says, you know, you're going to get scuffed up in this game, but it's okay. It's not that bad a deal. Uh, it, you get scuffed. You get, it's hardship, but it's worth it. And notice how that now follows. Get into the hardship of the gospel, relying on the strength of God. He uses the same word that has just been used up above, dunamis, the power, the strength of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. See, again, 
he's not asking Timothy to generate all these things in his own life. It's not because of our works, but according to his purpose, his will, and his grace. I asked Steve to sing that song, Were It Not For Grace. Were it not for God's love, none of this could happen. None of it. And Paul reminds now Timothy of that. Jump into this battle with me, into the hardship of sharing the good news, not according to your strength or works, but according to God's purpose and grace. In other words, this uh, uh, sharing the good news is a, a great vision. It's a great thing to do. And so he urges him to do it. And then he gives a little history. This grace was given to us in Christ before the ages began. God loved you. I love a line from Pascal. Jesus Christ loved you before you were born. You were loved before you were born. Uh, This decision to love us is prior even to our own existence. It's prior to everything. God created out of love. One of the first love words is in the book of Genesis. God did the creation and he called it good. And in Hebrew, the word is tov. He called it good. That's the beginning of the love vocabulary. God loved you when he made you. He loved you before he made you. And so this grace is in Jesus Christ before the ages began. It's now revealed. It's now here with us through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it's almost like if you're going to get into the race, we have a team physician. And the team physician is Jesus Christ, the one who's the Savior, who knows how to heal us. And that's what Savior means, the one who can heal, the one who can make you whole. He is with us, our Savior. But even more than that, now here's another fascinating line. Not only is he the Savior who has, your new RSV says, has abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's abolished death. This word is a quite an interesting Greek word. It's a, a play on words. The, one of the most important words in the Greek vocabulary is the Greek word erg, erg. We get the English word energy from that word. An erg is a unit of energy in modern physics. Erg, that means work. It means work as an event. It's a very important Greek word, and many words are built from that word, erg. Uh, In fact, James will say, you show me your faith with your words, I'll show you my faith with my erg, with my work, with what I do. And so it's a very big word. Now here, it's used in in the reverse way. A a negative is put before it, kata-erg, which means it... That's not work. So that's the word that's used here, and the RSV decided to translate it abolished. He has abolished death. Let me give you the literal translation of it. He has made death non-workable. See, against work. It doesn't work anymore. And that's the RSV decided to translate it in English, abolished. He has made it non-workable. It doesn't work anymore. Uh, He's referring to the fact that death is not the last word. There is a greater reality beyond death. That means that you, uh, we have a hardship that we face. And we may even face uh, people that can technically kill us. But they can't kill us. Because death has been made non-workable finally. 
And notice how he then goes on to make that clear. Uh, he has abolished death. He's made death non-workable and brought life and immortality to light through the good news. And that's encouraging. So his, notice the encouragement so far. One, reminding Timothy of where he's been and of, of his own faith and the faith of those around him and the fact that there are those who are cheering for him and praying for him. Good. Then, four gifts that God has given you. They're in you. Stir them up. Not deliria, not uh, disorienting fear, but strength. God gave you strength. I know you're a strong man, Timothy. And love, the love that God gave you. I know it's there. I've seen it in your life. Maybe it's one of the things that helped you to save my life when I was being stoned. Love and a healthy mind. A mind that can think clearly. What a marvelous thing to be able to think clearly. Think with a healthy head. A sound mind. Now, jump into the battle, Timothy. Get into the race. It's a relay race. You're not the only runner. It's a relay race or it's a game in which, like rugby, it's in the game. And by the way, rugby, you get scuffed because you don't wear a helmet and things like that. So you're going to get scuffed up. That's all right. It's no big deal. I've been in the game. It, it, it works because we've got a great game to play. That is to share the good news with the Roman world. It's a great game to play. And we're not alone in the game. Jesus Christ before even the ages, before we were even born, he loved us. Thank God for that, his grace. And he's there with us as the team physician. He's there with us as the one who can heal. But more than that, he has made death, which is the last enemy, he's made death inoperative. It doesn't work anymore because it's been conquered at the cross by Jesus Christ who died and disarmed death when he died. So that, he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then there's one last piece of advice from Timothy. One last part of this 12th verse, and that is the 12th verse. For this reason, I, and I use the word suffer again, I, I experience hardships again. He's not uh, making a big deal of his own sufferings. That's why I don't like the word suffer there. I like the hardship better I take on these hardships, okay? I do it, uh, but I'm not ashamed. It's interesting, he, uh, the first century has a shame culture in, in the Middle Eastern culture at that time. The worst thing that could happen to anyone is to lose face. Many cultures feel that deeply. It's true today in the Middle East. You must not have anybody lose face. You should not be humiliated. And so Paul says, I'm not humiliated. I am not ashamed. And he says this at the beginning of Romans, is great, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He now says it again here. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not humiliated. For this reason, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. Once again, as we saw last week at, 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 at Antioch, what won the people at Antioch to Christ was they preached the Lord Jesus. And now it's the center of our faith that wins us, Jesus Christ himself. I am not ashamed because I know who. I know whom I have believed. I have my eyes on Jesus Christ. And I know whom I have believed. 
and I, in whom I have put my trust. And then he uses one more marvelous word that I like. And I am convinced. The RSV says, I'm sure. I'm convinced. By the way, this word is an interesting word. It doesn't mean I have all the evidence. It doesn't mean I'm absolutely sure of everything. You should you know, be suspicious of people who say that I'm absolutely sure of this. Pascal said, absolutes are impossible for us. Only God is absolute. Therefore, we never are absolute. It's always on the base of what I know, on the base of the evidence I've seen, I trust in the trustworthiness of Jesus Christ. I trust him. I have enough evidence. That's what Paul's saying. I have enough evidence that I'm convinced that he is able. Now, the same word, dunamis, he has strength. He is strong enough to keep. And by the way, the word for keep there is to watch over. The same word that was used for the shepherds on the, in Luke 2, the shepherds were out in the, flock, out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. Thulaso means to watch over. It's the wonderful fortress word in the New Testament. God watches over us. It's the word Paul uses in his prayer in Philippians, that I be anxious for nothing but in everything, prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will watch over you. Will thaluso, will watch over, will guard you. In fact, the RSV translates it guard, will guard you. And that's the same word used here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to watch over and keep that which I've committed to him. And by the way, there's a variation in the, in the manuscripts because is it what I've committed to him or is it what he has committed to me? Manuscripts are divided. Most of them say what I've committed to him. Some manuscripts say what he has committed to me because the prepositions are quite, easy, are quite similar. So t- think of it either way. I know whom I have believed. Paul is now sharing his own witness. And that's what's encouraging to Timothy. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, I have enough evidence, that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day, any day. He can watch over me. And those are 12 great sentences of encouragement. Not only for a young man named Timothy in, century, uh, in the first century, in the 60s, but also for you and me in our time today. When I was a student at Princeton Seminary, uh, by the way, it's true, I did graduate from Princeton Seminary in 1956, before this young man was even born. They said, what were you doing? And and I said to Charlie, you weren't even born then. Uh, A lot of you weren't born then. (laughs) I was a youth pastor here then. (laughs) And all my youth have gone on to become, run the state. So, uh, but... uh, in 1956, I graduated from Princeton, but I had, a, I had a marvelous encouragement moment in my life as a student at Princeton in 1955. Because in 1955, on June 7th, 1955, a great man spoke at Princeton Seminary, and I'll never forget his speech. His name was Charles Malik. He was the ambassador from Lebanon to the United Nations. He was president, actually, of the General Assembly of the United Nations at one point. And then he came to Princeton and spoke. He was a professor of philosophy at the American University of Beirut, a Marianite Catholic, a great man. Uh, can I tell you a little aside? When I was in the Philippines, 
uh, I, I was a member, I was a pastor of Union Church, and in 1968, uh, I, Shirley and I were on a trip around the world while we were coming home from the Philippines for our home leave, and to go back, we decided to go to the World Council of Churches meeting in Uppsala, Sweden. And I went to the World Council, and because I was from the Philippines and I knew a lot of the Philippine delegates, they, they invited me to sit with the Philippine delegation at the World Council of Churches meeting in Uppsala, Sweden. And guess what? Philippines in the, on the floor was next to Lebanon, and Charles Malik was sitting in the Lebanese delegation just next to the Philippine delegation. So I met the man personally there and told him how much he meant to me because I got to hear him at Princeton in 1955. Let me read his last sentence in his Princeton talk to his students at Princeton Seminary. Charles Malik. Never be ashamed, notice the same thing that Paul says, never be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ or of his gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It is the only new thing in the world. All else is as old as the hills. Even the latest vaccine and the sock vaccine had just been invented or the latest bomb. And at that time, they were testing hydrogen bombs on coral atolls in the Pacific. All else is as old as the hills, even the latest vaccine and the latest model of the bomb. Only the eternal, only that which is the same yesterday, today, and forever is really new. Aim, therefore, always at that which is at once eternal, universal, personal, and concrete. That's Jesus Christ. And then he added one more sentence. He added, live in the knowledge that the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Death has been disqualified, has been disarmed. And that's Paul's encouragement to Timothy. It's a great encouragement for us too. One, know who you are and know your own story. Be thankful for people like your grandmother and your mother. Be thankful for people who have put their hands on you. Know that God gave you gifts. You don't have to generate them. They're there. The gift of not deliria, but strength, love, a healthy mind. Then get into the race. And then thank God for people that share their faith with you and bear witness to you too. They encourage you as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, text. We think of last week we said God is good all the time. And now we can say God is faithful all the time. Thank you for that. Now, Lord, bless us as we seek to know and grow in that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.